good to hug out the peace. That's good. Makes you feel more peaceful. Yeah. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Lots of things going on right now for you. Um, in the time that we had for prayer beforehand, which, you know, we usually open it up and lots of people pray, there was just like silence. And there was just this sense in the room like, gosh, we're just, we're so tired, we can't even think of anything creative to say in prayer. <laughs> right? I mean, there's just so much happening. There's our track and field teams were very active this weekend. Yes? To a resounding victory. That's really fun. Uh, lots of music things that are happening. The orchestra has a concert happening right now. Lots of stuff going on. And, oh, by the way, it's the end of everything. And so you've got these projects and you've got these papers and finals coming up. And there's just this, like, free-floating anxiety out there, which is why it's good to come in here. Remember what's most important. Remember to trust in the Lord your God. And so let me just give you a landscape of where we're going in worship this week. Tomorrow, our associate chaplain, Amina Bradford, will be preaching. I know, I know, one of the great stories of the resurrection. So bring a friend. Tuesday, for our prayer chapel, we're going to have a special time of, uh, there'll be prayer servants all scattered around, people who've been participating in our chapels. Uh, they've been, they put ashes on you for Ash Wednesday. They blessed you at different times. And they're going to be praying, and there'll be different stations. And you come in, and you can sit here if you want, or you can go to someone and say, I'm really anxious about this paper, or I'm really, I need prayers for my summer, or I'm really grateful for this. And you pray with the person, and then we are going to have Krispy Kremes. Yes. Yes, we are. And since you all are here at Loft, you get to hear about it. Don't tell anybody else. So it's, it's our gift to you to pray over you. Um, one of those things is a wonderful sweet treat, and the other is a donut. Thank you very much. So Tuesday, uh, prayer, and you can just come and pray and get a donut and go, all right? So um, it's, it's our way of blessing you, and we'll have faculty and staff here praying for our faculty as they grade. Um, that's a really important task that they have and heavy. Uh, I will say, though, having been a student and a faculty member, students have it heavier. Just going to name it. Just going to name it right out. Just going to name it. Going to name it. Grading is tedious, very different than taking exams. So we're going to be praying for that on Tuesday, and then on Wednesday we're going to have a senior song fest. All the uh, worship leaders will be seniors, and we'll sing together uh, for a final on the final day of classes on Thursday. And then next week, Sunday, we'll have our final loft, and it will be cardboard testimonies. Those of you who were around last year, remember that. Very powerful service as we celebrate what God has done in our community. And uh, if you go on my Facebook page, on my Pastor Maria page, I put a link to last year's cardboard testimony service, so you can go check that out if you want to kind of get warmed up for next week. So that's, that's next week, Sunday night. So that's the landscape of where we're going in worship and the worship life of the college. So um, tonight, we are going to ask you, since it's our last kind of regular loft, to fill out a little survey about loft. Um, I know you get lots of surveys, and so uh, you have many options for your worship experiences, and we'd like to thank you for choosing this one. Um, so uh, it'll just take you a minute to complete it. When the baskets, baskets come your way, we ask you to take a survey and a pen with which to complete the survey and one of these small gold papers. 
And then when the offering baskets come around again, you'll put in the survey and your cash for the community care fund, but you will hang on to the little gold paper and the pen, which you will put behind you right in that little hook in the, like where the pad meets the wood. Just tuck it right there. And then later in the service, I'll tell you what it's for. Are we there on that? Can we follow these instructions? I know you've got a lot going on in your head right now. There's a lot going on. Oh, they're, okay. This little slip of paper here on this side are purple, all right? There's no significance to the color. They're both royal. <laughs> so we got the gold and we got the purple. So when, you, when the basket comes, survey, pen, little slip of paper. When the basket comes again, survey goes in, money goes in, you hold on to the little paper and the pen. You're good? Excellent. That's because you are Calvin College students and you are so smart. <laughs> so our offering tonight is as it has been all year. It is for the Community Care Fund. Next week we'll have some testimonies related to the Community Care Fund, so look forward to that. Thank you, as always, for your faithful giving. And uh, when the baskets come at this point, survey, pen, paper, baskets come again, offering goes in. We're good. Nod. Humor me. There we go. All right. So receive the surveys and the pens and the paper.
pray. God, we are grateful people. We stand near the end of another academic year. What an opportunity to pause and give you thanks for all that you have given to us. Good professors, great friends, apartments in which we felt at home, relationships that became multi-layered over time, fun, prayer, teaching, worship, laughter, food, so many things for which we give you thanks. And we are bold to pray, God, that in these next 10 days, two weeks, as we finish things off, that you will give us the stamina, the physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual discipline that we need to finish well. There are those of us for whom academics is a challenge year-round, and in these next couple weeks, it seems at times overwhelming. So we pray your particular mercies on our brothers and sisters for whom studying is a real burden, a real challenge. And we pray that for those of us for whom this comes more easily, we will have compassion, we will be encouraging, we will cheer them on. God, we know that you have called many of us at this season of our lives to be students. This is our vocation for right now. And so our studying is a way in which we give you glory. And so help us as we use our minds to learn and to stretch and to grow and to bring you glory. We thank you that you not only enjoy it when we use our minds, but you enjoy it when we use our bodies to dance and run and jump and throw. We thank you for the good joy that many of our athletic teams have had this year. And we pray that as they finish their seasons, while they finish their academics, that you will keep them focused and disciplined and bring them joy. And as we think of our bodies, we think of those among us whose bodies need healing. We pray for our brother Steve Akeo as he continues to recover. Lord, it's going to be a long journey for him. And we pray that in your mercy, you will bring healing to his brain, to his lungs, his kidneys, his liver, his heart. We ask a blessing on his brother Joseph and sister-in-law Irene as they continue to wonder about his care and how to manage it from afar. Give them wisdom, give them clarity and vision. And Lord, help us who are near to be wise, to allow Steve time to rest and to heal, to pray for him. And God, we pray for those in our community whose needs aren't as public. Those of us who are suffering from losses, encountered this year, from broken bones, from allergies that make it incredibly hard to function. God, we pray for healing for these bodies. We pray that in your mercy, you will extend to us the grace of healing for those of us for whom the healing needs to come in our minds. For mental health, we pray for those who struggle with bipolar disorder, depression, anxiety, grief. We pray that you will surround them in your mercy. 
Lord, we pray for our Calvin College community as we come to the end of this year and look toward work of the summer. We pray wisdom for our administrators, deans, and directors as they continue to make decisions about budget and priorities. God, we pray that uh, this season will allow us to be aware of new opportunities, things that we wouldn't have thought of if this pressing need hadn't come. May we be able to see your resurrection power even here. We ask a blessing on our president, Michael Leroy. Thank you for bringing him to our campus. Give him the physical stamina he needs to do his job and do it well. We pray for our campus as they prepare to host Synod in another month. And for the many decisions Synod will have to make, Lord, we pray wisdom as you gather these men and women from across the United States and Canada, that as they come here to this campus, they will be met and attended to by your Holy Spirit. Help them to not be afraid of whatever is before them, and instead to submit fully to your work in the life of this church, this denomination. God, we know that there are wounds among us in our churches, in our denominations, in our dorms, in our homes, in our friendships. Some of those we caused, some of those were done to us. So tonight, Lord, as we open your word and we look at the idea of forgiveness, may it not just be a cognitive thing, but may it move from thinking and understanding to living and doing just as you have done for us in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. We're going to be looking at Matthew 18. Matthew 18, you're going to want to have that out. Page 800 in your pew Bibles. Matthew 18, beginning to read at verse 21. Matthew 18, 21. Peter came to Jesus and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times. Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and his children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave the debt. But that sla same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he could pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, you wicked slave, 
I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Peter asked a good question. It's a good question. There have been 2,000 years since he asked it, and so some of the cultural context is lost on us. And poor Peter has been ridiculed through the centuries for asking this question, like, should I number off how many people, how many times I forgive, Lord? And I think seven's good. What do you think? But in the context in which Peter asked the question, it was a really good question. You see, the Jews had a window of 10 days in which they asked each other for forgiveness. Between the Jewish New Year and Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, there were 10 days. These were called the Days of Awe. And in preparation for Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and ask God for mercy for the entire nation, the members of the Jewish people would first go and seek forgiveness from each other. They would go to someone and say, this past year, I have wronged you. I have eaten the macaroni and cheese that you had in the cupboard. Please forgive me. They would go around and ask each other for forgiveness, and it was granted them. And on the Day of Atonement, they would all go to the temple, watch the priest go in and ask God for forgiveness for all of them. And there was this belief that because there's this phrase that's repeated in the book of Amos about the Lord forgiving people until the fourth time, three times and then the fourth time I will punish, three times and then the fourth time, there was this belief that since God, you know, he'd let you go three times, but the fourth time, bam, I was like, well, that's a pretty good standard for humans, three times and then the fourth time. And so Peter is actually being pretty generous here. He takes the three, he doubles it, and then for good measure adds one more. How many times should I forgive, Lord? Seven? Because that's, that's really good. And Jesus goes, oh, no, 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 not, not, not seven. Seventy times seven. Seventy-seven. Seven hundred kabillion times, Peter. That's the intent of what he says. It's just a nonsense number. No, 77 times, 700 kabillion times, Peter. You don't measure it out like in coffee spoons. You get two forgiveness drops. There you go. No. He says the kingdom of heaven's like this. And then he tells this tale. And most scholars believe that he's talking here about slaves who would have gone out into the kingdom to gather the taxes and bring them back into the king, and annually the king would settle up accounts and see that he'd gotten everything in. Well, this one slave has gotten a little bit behind. 10,000 talents. You know how long people think that would have taken him to pay back based on the wages of the day? 150 years! 150 years! He's a little behind, 10,000 talents. When Jesus said this, when he was like, and there was this guy who owed his king 10,000 talents, people would have been like, are you kidding me? That's like the gross national product of our entire country. <laughs> That's insane. Who does that? A little behind on his bookkeeping. 10,000 talents. 
And the slave says, you know, just be patient. I'll only need like life expectancy, four, five lifetimes to pay it back. Just be patient. Give me a, little, give me a minute. I'll be right back with that. 10,000 talents. Just an extravagant number, a crazy number. He pleads with the king, please, please, please have mercy, forgive. I'll pay it back. And the king has pity on him, and he releases him, he forgives his debt. And then he goes out and he finds somebody, probably owed him about three to four months of salary. Grabs him by the throat. You got to pay me back. Now, if he still owed the king, this would make sense. He'd be shaking down everybody he knew. Look, I owe $25 kabillion to the king. You got to, like, you pay me up. But he doesn't. He doesn't owe anything to the king. And his other servants have watched this whole drama play out, and they are just appalled. They are distressed. They are bereft. They are sorrowful. They go to the king, and they're like, we don't even know what's happening. He did this amazing thing, and he just, I don't know. He doesn't get it. And the king says, oh, you don't get it. You don't get it at all. Go away. Go away. Go be tortured. Incidentally, something Gentiles did, Jews didn't do. So this is a Gentile king who's praying this all out. Jews didn't torture people. Note, gone, be gone, enough with you. And what we can see through the entire parable is that the slave who's at the center of everything, he doesn't get it. He doesn't get this at all. He doesn't get how much he owes. Have patience with me and I'll pay it back. Hmm? Have you done the math? Have you gotten out the abacus? Because that is not going to work. He doesn't get how much he's owe, he owes, so he doesn't get how much he's been forgiven. He just doesn't get it. And he doesn't get that what has happened to him needs to impact how he treats other people. He doesn't get that. And that's what the king is so upset about. You don't get it. Shouldn't you have had mercy on that person just like I had mercy on you? You don't get it. He didn't get it. Now, it's easy for us to look at that parable and go, yeah, the guy was an idiot. He didn't get it. I mean, we get it. We get it. We sing about it all the time. We can recite this passage. We know it. We get it. Cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross to forgive our sins. We couldn't have paid the price back. We owe God everything. We get it. Forgiveness, we get it. God's forgiven us. We forgive other people. We get it. We get it until we have to do it. So with the things that have been happening at Calvin, with the budget stuff and finances and money and numbers and yada, 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 there's been this need in the community to blame people. Blame somebody, get an apology from somebody. That'll make it all about, it's just like, who is in, who's responsible here? And it's, it's just so tempting. And if you walk into those conversations and you say things like, you know, we may want to think about as a community moving into the idea of forgiveness. Ugh. That's a little harder. 
if you say, your dad had an affair and he blew up your family, and maybe you should think about forgiving him. What? She broke your heart. Maybe you forgive her? He abused you. He stole your childhood. You live with the after effects. Forgiveness? And our resistance to forgiveness comes from a few different places. It comes from the belief that if we forgive him, that means that the thing didn't really happen, that this wound that we suffer doesn't really matter, even though we feel its effects every day. We think maybe that if I forgive him, that means I need to reconcile with him, I need to be in a relationship with him again, and I don't want to do that. We think maybe that forgiveness means that we just gloss it over and we say it's okay. We think maybe that forgiveness means I can't be angry anymore. And because of all those things, when someone comes into us, into the deepest pains that we have suffered in our lives as individuals, as a community, and says, you know, you need to think about forgiveness, we don't really get it. One of the things that I had the privilege of doing this spring was leading a book group on the art of forgiveness by Lou Smeads. It's a fantastic book. It's very easy to read. In about 10 days, you should all read it. And while he explains really well what forgiveness is, what's just as important as explaining what forgiveness isn't. So listen to these sentences that he has. Forgiving someone who did us wrong does not mean that we tolerate the wrong he did. Forgiving does not mean that we want to forget what happened. Forgiving does not mean that we excuse the person who did it. Forgiving does not mean that we take the edge off the evil of that which was done to us. Forgiving does not mean that we surrender our right to justice. Forgiving does not mean that we invite someone who hurt us once to hurt us again. It's important to know what forgiveness isn't. In other sections of the book, he talks about the role of anger, and he says, just because you're still angry, it doesn't mean that you've not forgiven. He says, the opposite of forgiveness isn't anger, it's hate. When you hate, you know you haven't forgiven. When you're angry, anger can move you to protect yourself from ever being hurt that way again and to helping others be protected. It can play a good role. He also spends a lot of time talking about what it takes for people who have been wounded, for the one who's been wounded and the one who committed the wound, for them to come back together again. And he says, forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean reconciliation. He says, but 
If there is going to be reconciliation between the person who was hurt and the person who did the hurting, it requires a severe honesty. For the person that was hurt, it requires the severe honesty of saying you were hurt deeply and admitting it and saying how it's affected your life. And we would think that the severe honesty might be harder on the other side, but how often don't we, when we're deeply hurt, just say things like, it's okay. You know, it doesn't really matter. I don't want to talk about it. Severe honesty. Severe honesty from the other side means that that person owns up to what he or she did. They confess it, they own it, they apologize for it. He says that without severe honesty from both parties, reconciliation does not happen. So to forgive does not mean you just waltz right back into the relationship as it was before. And forgiveness may mean that you keep distance. When I was in graduate school, I had this great spiritual director she was this nun from Italy. She was in her mid-30s. She was awesome. And her name was Sister Raffaella. Uh, Raphael, by the way, is the angel of healing. I thought that was apt. And when she and I were talking about forgiveness at one point, she says, now, now Mary, if I punch you in the eye, great phrase for a nun to say, <laughs> if I punch you in the eye and you forgive me, that's great. If I keep punching you in the eye and you keep forgiving me, at one point, you have to like move out of my range. She said, now if you staying out of my range doesn't mean that you haven't forgiven me, it means that you are moving into self-protection. You've wised up. You're not gonna hang around with someone who continues to hurt you. That doesn't mean you haven't forgiven me. It means you're growing in wisdom. Reconciliation requires severe honesty, and sometimes the people who have wounded us are unable to be severely honest. And a good part of wisdom and a good part of grace is self-care. Smeeds also has this great chapter on forgiving ourselves. And he wonders, why is it that we're so much more ready to forgive other people and we just carry these things that we have done and we relive them and we relive them and we relive them? He said, why is it that we can't simply extend to ourselves the same grace and mercy that we would want to extend to another? Set yourself free, he says. That's a great tool of the enemy to get you to perseverate over your own sin and not over the grace of God. So what is forgiveness? If we've clarified in some sense what it's not, what is it actually? And in this, we have this great verse 27 of what the king does for the servant. Out of pity for him, that's the first thing, the Lord of this slave released him and forgave the debt. The first thing is out of pity out of pity. Smeeds calls that recovering the humanity of the other person. Out of pity, the king says, out of pity, out of compassion, he recognizes that this other person is a human being, someone who deserves mercy, 
a child of God. We would say the blood of Jesus was also shed for that person. We recover the humanity of that person. There is so much in our culture that says when you disagree with someone or when someone hurts you, label them and put them aside. That guy's an idiot. She's a jerk. She's so selfish. Oh, those people. Label them, put them aside. And the king recovers the humanity. There is compassion. There is pity. This is a human being created in the image of God. They are complicated. They are tempted. They have joys. They have successes. They have weaknesses. They have failures. They are broken. They are full and complex human beings just as we are. Forgiveness, the first step, is to recover the humanity of the person who hurt you. Out of pity, it says, out of pity, the king released him. Released him. He had every right to say, you need to get, I'm going to get even. We're going to get even. You are going to pay this off. You and your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren until someday this debt is paid. He had every right for vengeance, every right to seek his own way. And instead, he releases. Releases. The second step is to release your desire to get even. To release the desire for vengeance. And this is hard. Because every one of us in this room who's been hurt, we've had these wonderful fantasies about what would happen to that person who hurt us. Oh, and they're good. They're creative. They're winsome. They have a soundtrack. <laughs> Smeets puts it this way. We want our enemy to suffer, yes. But we also want him to know that he is suffering only because of what he did to us. We want the satisfaction of watching him turn and burn with hellish leisure on the rotisserie of his remorse. Isn't that a great line? I will read it again. <laughs> we want the satisfaction of watching him turn and burn with hellish leisure on the rotisserie of his remorse. And we go, yes, yes, precious. Right? There's this like, oh, that would be so great if she could only suffer the way that she's made me suffer. You're right there. Some of you are like, ah, I'm thinking of things right now that I would do. The rotisserie of his remorse. I love it. Right? Because we think, oh, then, then we'd be even, then we'd be even, then we'd be even. But it never gets even. The Hatfields and the McCoys never get even. The blood feuds that take place right now, today, in the Middle East between different tribes, you never get even. So you recover the person's humanity, you release the desire for revenge to get even. But be clear, you are not giving up the desire for justice. You are not giving up the desire for justice. If someone has affected your life and there are legal ramifications that can take place, you are free to let them take place. Justice 
can roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream, and you forgive. What you lay down is your vengeance to take matters into your own hands, to figure it out yourself, to desire the other person's suffering. You recover the person's humanity. You release the desire to get even. The king, out of pity, releases him, forgives the debt. Forgives the debt. He wishes for him a whole new life. Imagine how long this guy had been living, kind of accumulating this debt, knowing that someday the reckoning would come, and now suddenly he gets a whole fresh start, a whole new life. And the king's feelings toward him change. I want the best for you. I want you to have a fresh life. So we recover the person's humanity. We release our desire for revenge. And we revise our feelings so that we can wish them well. Revise our feelings so that we can wish them well. Do you see how far that is from vengeance? To be able to wish the person well. I pray that she gets into that grad school she really wants to get into. I hope that his second marriage is great. I hope his business prospers. Wishing the other person well. These are the steps. We see them borne out in the life of the king toward the slave. Recover the person's humanity, release the desire to get even, revise your feelings so you can wish the other person well. And it's way more messy than that. Sometimes you do one, and then you do three, and then you do two, and then you do one, two, three, and then you're back to one, and then you're sitting in two for a while, and then you gotta move on to three, and then you come back. Because it takes time. It takes time to do this well. At the very end of this parable, what does Jesus say? I want you to forgive where, how? What does it say? The very end of the parable. From your heart. Christian, example, going up on the bottom of the stairs, coming back down. I'm really sorry, can I go now? Jesus is like, no, 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 no. From your heart. And that takes time. It's messy. It's complicated. There are relapses. You go back and forth. And I find that our deep wounds, you know, just as when you get a physical wound on your body, there are different layers to the healing. But there's almost always a scar. And when someone's wounded us deeply, there are occasions in life where that comes back. When you have to go back home. When you have to go to that church again. When you have that baptism, that wedding, that funeral, that occasion in which you're going to see that person again, and you can feel it, just the ache, it's there again, and you have to go back through, reclaim the humanity, surrender, revise. It takes a lifetime to do it well. But Jesus says, if you get it, If you really get it, then you give it. If you get it, then you give it. And in fact, the way Jesus teaches this parable actually flips the entire Judaic process of forgiveness right around. 
Because the process in preparing for the Day of Atonement was to go to someone and ask for forgiveness. I, this year, was late to chapel that time I needed to pray. I am very sorry. You owned your own stuff and you sought forgiveness. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You go out there and you spread out the forgiveness even before people ask for it. You go out there and you just say, and I forgive you, and I forgive you, and I forgive you, and I forgive you, and, I forgive you. and you just have fun with it. Because people who get it, give it. You don't sit there selfishly with it. I don't know, I don't know forgive you or not. No, you just give it. People who get it, give it. I was forgiven a kabillion billion dollars. Here, here, take some, take some. I've been forgiven. People who get it, give it. This is what God in Christ has done for you. You are forgiven. You are set free, and it includes being set free from the wounds that others have done to you. It includes being set free from the lies of the enemy who says you've got to hold on to your pain because that's the only way you'll know that the story of your life is legitimate. He wants to set you free from the lie that says your anger is a guardian of what really happened, and if you give the anger, no one will believe you anymore. He wants to move you away from the lie of the enemy that says you are just holy enough to not forgive. People who get it, give it. And so tonight, we're going to ask you to give it. You have a little slip of paper, you have a pen, and as We've been looking at this text tonight. There has been a name or two or four that have come to mind. And it could be that you're not ready for step one or step two or step three. Maybe tonight what you need to do is say, Lord, someday I would like to be in the position where I would want to forgive this person. I am, I am slowly going to turn myself toward the idea that I could forgive. Maybe that's, that's all you can do, and that's great. Maybe you're over in the steps and you're thinking, wow, I, I really, I, I, when I, if I talk about this situation, I call that person a name, even in my own head. And I just need to recover that person's humanity. I have such good visions of what could happen in that person's life, and I need to just let those go, and I need to wish her well. So we invite you tonight to write down a name or two, however the Lord leads. Maybe write down the step you need to take on it. We invite you to take that name, that step, whatever it is, to bring it up and put it at the foot of the cross. Because the only way we do this is because of what God in Christ has done for us. And he invites us into such healing. So come up and put it in. And then on your way back to your seats, we invite you to reach in here and take one of these cards. And every card has a different quote about forgiveness. And maybe when you get back to your seat, if you want, you can write the name or the step and just keep it in your wallet, put it on your car visor, put it on your bathroom mirror as a reminder to just keep stepping toward forgiveness. 
because those who get it, give it. God wants to set us free tonight. He wants to set you free. Maybe you have something that you need to confess to someone else. Maybe you need to go. Maybe you need to receive. So listen to what the Spirit has to say. And when you're ready, you can come forward. Let me pray. God, you are our king. You are the one who has forgiven us. We, we can't even imagine how much we owe. It's beyond comprehension. And you forgive us out of pity. You release us. You forgive our debts. And ask us to forgive our debtors. Lord, help us to be generous forgivers. Help us to be almost wasteful in how willing we are to forgive. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you come now and attend to us. Bring to mind people that we need to forgive. There are chains around some of us from this lack of forgiveness that are preventing us from experiencing what you want for us, the freedom that can be there for us. And so we pray today that we are open ourselves up. And Lord, if we need help from this, then let us seek it out. There are many good people who want to encourage us in this. So Holy Spirit, please come. Set us free. In the name of Jesus Christ, for he is the one who died and took our sins and rose again from the grave and gives us the freedom to be forgiving people. And in his name we pray, amen.